0: Is
1: real. There's power in your name. We find hope, man. We trust in your ways. We need Jesus is
0: real. It's important to remember that when God gives you a limp, God likes his kids with a limp. Why? Because when God gives us a limp, he also changes our names. There's something about the breaking and humbling process that God can do a fresh work. And so this name Israel, it became the name for the people of God, that they were those who've been governed by God, those who were ruled by God.
1: Do you have a limp? It may be a physical one. It may be an emotional or mental one. Maybe somewhere along the line as you pursued real life with Jesus, received an injury, a limp like Jacob's. Pastor Daniel has a word of encouragement for you today. In the process of being humbled and broken, God is able to do a new work in you. He's able to give you a new name. Whatever it was that you were, God now gets to tell you who you are now. Here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Greatest Commandment.
0: open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, I want to get you to the book of Deuteronomy. It's really easy to find because it's the fifth book out of the 66 books in your Bible. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Somebody asked me before we started that, they said, so Pastor Daniel, are we going to make it anywhere in the Bible tonight? And I joyfully said, I'm not sure, because really I want to focus tonight on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. This section, when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus quoted the beginning of this section. So it's amazing, because people all the time, they say, oh, well, you know, there's 10 commandments in the Bible. No, there's actually 613 commandments. Right There's the Big Ten. The Ten Commandments are unique because they were given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. right? But if you read the whole of the law, there's 613 laws, and I like to say that in a lot of ways, 613 laws is a lot like IRS tax code. You just want to bake that thing down to TurboTax or something, you know. You just need to press a couple buttons and get the right... I'm not knocking those of you who are CPAs. I, you know, don't want to... But, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a lot of information, so... Can we break this thing down to what's the most important thing? And so they asked Jesus that. And then writings of rabbis, which I wouldn't recommend unless you have extra reading time on your hand. I think you should read the Bible. But I like to read that kind of stuff. And if you read through the Talmud, there's all these different discussions about what's the most important commandment out of all the 613. And so they asked Jesus because it was a common question. And Jesus took... Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he put it next to it Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so that became the most important commandments through which we view all the rest. Now what's interesting is in Mark's gospel, in that same question, instead of just quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, he actually begins in Deuteronomy 6.4. And what a lot of rabbis would tell you is that when somebody quotes the beginning of a section, they actually imply the entire section. And so what's fascinating is that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, you have the entire Shema prayer. So look what it says. It says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart With all your soul and with all your strength, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is the entire Shema encouragement and prayer. Now, I spent some time looking at verse four a few weeks ago. I started with the word hear, and I wanted you to focus on that, because really what he's saying, he's not just saying listen, he's saying there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Listening is you, it gets into your ears, but hearing means you ponder it, you begin to think about it, you contemplate what it means. And so in a lot of ways, my encouragement always, and as a teacher and as a pastor, I'm always encouraging people to think deeply about the Bible. One of the biggest issues I think we have today is that many believers aren't like the Bereans. Remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we get this reality where it says that the Bereans were more fair-minded or sober-minded than the believers in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures diligently to see if these things are so. So they didn't just take what they heard on face value. They got into the scriptures and they searched them diligently to see if these things are so. I want to encourage you to do that. And the reason why is there's a lot of bad information out there. And if you are not like a Berean, and Berea was an area, it was a city, if you're not like a Berean, you're going to hear something, and you might just buy it because that's what you heard. No, but the Bereans, they searched the Scriptures diligently to see if these things were so. And we need to think deeply, because there's a lot of biblical information out there, and a lot of it is trash. It's not spiritual food. It actually is just designed to tickle your ears, To be really honest, if you read in Paul's letter to Timothy, he tells them that in the last days, people are not gonna be able to endure sound doctrine, but they're gonna follow their itching ears. And if you look at our culture with all the information we have access to, not that it's bad, but how often do we just want our ears tickled? We wanna hear something new. We wanna hear something we've never heard before, but guess what? There ain't nothing new under the sun. That's what the Bible says, there's nothing, we need to hear the old things over and over and over again until it makes it down into, out of our brains and that 18 inch journey into our hearts and then that even harder journey out into our hands and our feet and out our mouths. We don't need to hear new things, we need to hear old things. So that idea of hearing, Shema in the Hebrew, it implies the need to ponder and contemplate and you know, in the Bible the word meditate doesn't mean to clear your brain out and to think about nothing. It means to chew on something to get all the nourishment out of it. That's what the word literally means. And so it talks in Psalm number one about the man who's blessed because he meditates in the law of the Lord, right? And so the idea is you need to keep chewing on it and get all the nourishment out of it. And in some ways, taking a nice slow journey through the Bible midweek here, we're doing that. We're trying to chew on this stuff and see what's in there. So it begins with hearing, and then it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, notice, hear, O Israel. Now this was, don't forget, Israel was the name that God gave to Jacob. Remember that. Remember, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the one who all of God's promises was going to flow through, he was a scoundrel. If you were back with us back a million years ago when we were in the book of Genesis, we saw how shady Jacob was. You know, his name was Heel Catcher, and he was a swindler. Jacob wasn't a, a great guy all the way. He did all sorts of things wrong, right? Right? But remember, before he was going to meet his brother Esau again, after he had fled from his brother Esau, because his brother Esau was going to kill him because he swindled him out of his blessing, right? Jacob ended up wrestling with an angel that night. And we learned something amazing about Jacob because in the midst of this struggle and this fear, Jacob was fearful of his life. Jacob, when he got that angel, said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go. And it was amazing because that angel... Touched Jacob's ligament in his leg And Jacob ended up walking with a limp But what's amazing is, is God gave him a limp But he also changed his name His name went from being Jacob Which means heel catcher To Israel Which literally means governed by God Ruled by God You know, and even though it's not in my text that I'm talking about it It's important to remember that when God gives you a limp God likes his kids with a limp. Why? Because when God gives us a limp, he also changes our names. There's something about the breaking and humbling process that God can do a fresh work. And so this name Israel, it became the name for the people of God, that they were those who've been governed by God, those who were ruled by God. And I think it's important for us to remember that this hearing is for the people who said, I am the Lord's and he is mine. Not everybody, but those who wanted to be part of the covenant community. Now, hear, O Israel, and then we have the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I spent some time on this. Notice it's the Lord our God. And I spent time on this a couple of weeks ago, so I don't want to belabor it again. But we always see God working not necessarily just in an individual, but an individual in community. And I keep bringing that up because in our culture, we live in an individualistic culture. And people's spirituality, their Jesus spirituality has a tendency to be deeply individualistic because of our culture, but really we're meant to see ourselves as part of the body of Christ, something bigger. And so many of the ills of the society that we live in is the fact that people are so radically individualistic. God wants us to have a different view. God wants us to see ourselves as part of something much bigger. You know, and you have this picture of the body of Christ, where my eye has never boasted in being an eye. My eye is only as good as it being a part of my dome, my skull, attached to all the nerves in my brain so that I can see. And I think for many people, and no doubt probably many who are hearing this right now, your growth is being stunted because you're not connected to other people. Or you're the kind of person that every time something doesn't go your way, you try and find a new group of people to be connected to. Which what I've learned is that the downside of having a million different churches is that every time something goes on you don't like, you leave the growing opportunity to find greener pastures, But if you keep finding yourself needing greener pastures, the issue isn't the church. The issue is that you need to grow, and God wants you to grow, and you're not willing to grow. So you're always looking for another place so you don't have to grow. And that's what happens in a community. You have to figure out how to work it out. And God wants it that way, because God knows, isn't it true that sometimes the lessons we want to learn, we really don't want to learn them? We'd rather not learn them. We'd rather blame somebody else than say, Maybe I'm not loving so good right now. Maybe the forgiveness that Jesus has given me, I need to pass along. Maybe I need to look in my own heart rather than looking at someone else's flaws. Don't all those things kind of sound kind of biblical? Yeah. And so, for the children of Israel, they had to deal with it in community, and it's the Lord our God, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about the different names of God and the personal name, Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, and then that God in his justice, God is the creator of the word Elohim, and so you have all this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this idea of the Lord being one speaks to two things, it speaks to monotheism and uniqueness. Monotheism and uniqueness. And you say, okay, so monotheism, what does it mean? Mono means what? One, unless you get sick, then mono means you feel lousy for a long time. But that would be mononucleosis. So mono means one, and theism, theos is the Greek word for God, right? And so there's one God. Now, we're used to hearing about one God because it's 3,500 years or 4,000 years after this, but back in the day, There was only one group of monotheistic believers, and that was just the Jewish people. The God who created and sustained everything called this group of people and said, there's not a sun god, and a rat god, and a river god, and a fly god, and a locust god like the Egyptians and the Mesopotamians. We can go down all the list. If you've ever studied ancient history and ancient religions, everybody has a plurality of gods until the children of Israel show up and say, no, no, no. Those are all created things, but there is a creator God who is over all these things. And so, when they say the Lord our God, the Lord is one, this was a radical statement. This was completely countercultural in the community and the world that they lived in. But it also speaks of God's uniqueness. And I think that's important because God is completely and utterly unique. We get the word holy from the same concept that God is distinct and completely other. See, the problem with God is that God is not like anybody else. And so we always say that we have to make sure that we don't make the mistake that Frederick Nietzsche pointed out that God created us in his image and we've been trying to return the favor ever since. See, many of us want to make God in our image. We want God to like what we like, we want Him to despise what we despise, we want Him to vote for the party that we think we should vote for, instead of allowing God to change us into His image. And each one of us bears the image of God, but that image is warped because of sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Adam and Eve were created in God's image and according to His likeness, right? Each human being is an image. We bear the image of the creator God, but there's a warping to that image that comes through sin. And you can read about that, obviously, in Genesis chapter 3, and the whole of the Bible, and every news outlet shows us the warping of the way we view ourselves and the warping of God's image. And Jesus came to die and rise again to restore us to the image and likeness of God. How many of you, since walking with Jesus, have changed in ways you could have never imagined? Because that's what God does. See, we don't want to make God in our image. Because if you think about the things that you value, you look back five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you valued different things. Our values are changing as we grow and as we have experience. See, God never changes. So rather than us trying to make God in our image, we need to allow God by the Holy Spirit to make us into His image. Right? So God is unique. And what I have learned and what you are learning and what I want to encourage us is to let the unique, completely other, holy God make us holy as He is holy. And that holiness comes, it's a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus, but then it plays itself out into our lives with a changed and transformed life. See, you can tell what you value by how you live, not necessarily what you believe. Your beliefs are the best expressed and understood by how you live every day, not by the theological statements that you hold. How many times have you said, I trust in the Lord, and then you freak out about something? (laughs) The idea is you do trust in the Lord, but when push comes to shove in something that you don't like or understand, you become a functional atheist. You worry, and you think that your worrying is going to change the thing. Jesus spoke about this. So when we see our actions... It helps us understand where we're at. And God wants to change us in Christ. And then it changes our actions. It changes the way we live. We start living differently than we did before. We start valuing different things. So we have this idea of the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I also made the point that this word in the Hebrew, this word for one, is the Hebrew word echad, which literally speaks of a compound unity, as opposed to the word yahid, which would have spoken to an absolute unity or singularity. And many scholars would tell you that the doctrine of the Trinity fits perfectly in this phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If it would have been the word for one been yahid, then all of a sudden you'd have all sorts of issues with the doctrine of the Trinity as it relates to the Shema. And I think I shared it a couple of weeks ago. I have a friend who's a rabbi. We went to college together. He grew up religiously Jewish, and he became, but he wasn't acting real righteous when we were in college because he was hanging out with me. So, you know, and so, but it's funny because we would talk about these things, and I remember asking him about this. He's like, yeah, I man." he's like, I'll be honest with you. You Christians kind of got us on that one, you know? It's really funny. He's like, yeah, it's completely... Because of what the word means and how it functions in the Hebrew language, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's, I don't know that I I don't, I'm not going to say I agree with you, but I can see why you're holding to that position. So it begins there. And then from this reality, here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Then in verse five, you get this, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now you know that when you get into the New Testament, Jesus also adds onto this with all your mind. So the idea is because the Lord is our God and this Lord is unique, right, now it's about having a loving relationship with that God. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, don't miss that. Because you would think that if there's only one God, and this God is completely unique, then you have to be duty-bound to that God. But God isn't looking for duty. God is looking for a relationship that is typified by love. And you realize that there is a big difference between duty and love, isn't there? Let me give you an example. How many of you gals would have loved it if your husband or your guy or your sons did this whole big elaborate thing for you made you your favorite meal got you your favorite flowers got a haircut or something put on a suit whatever the thing is and you said oh that's so sweet thank you so much He said well it's my duty to do that how's that feel it's good right every woman's dream you just think to yourself this guy's a bozo that's what you think you think he did so good, and then he dropped the ball something famous. Does anybody get excited? It was my duty to do that. Anybody feeling that? Bueller? No, right? No. See, but if in that same situation, you're like, oh, that's so, I mean, wow, I'm so blown away that you would do, why? Well, because I love you so much. Then you, be, then you, you become melted butter. It's like, and everyone's happy. Why? Because there's a huge difference between duty and love. Now, here's the thing. I've been around the church long enough to realize that for many people, they just do it out of duty. I just got it like I'm supposed to do this. And they white-knuckle this thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I always recommend being obedient and asking God to change your heart. Don't be rebellious because you're not feeling love. But the bigger question is, is, why don't I love God? The Bible tells us that we love him because what? first loved us. So what happens is when we experience the love of God, it's easy to turn it back to him. Just the way when we experience the love of another person, it's easy to turn it back to them because we're experiencing their love. Now Jesus said, greater love is no one than this, then a man would lay down his life for his friends, and then he went and took the cross. So some of you right now are saying, okay, so God loves me. I know that the Bible says that, but I don't really feel God's love. So this is what I always tell people. If you do not subjectively your own experience, feel God's love, then you look objectively to the finished work of the cross. If you don't feel that God loves you, when you view the cross with the eyes of faith, you realize that Jesus died because he loves you because would anybody die for someone they don't love? No. I mean, you'd be like, yeah, if one of us is going down, it's going to be you. But when you love somebody and you truly love someone, you'll lay down your life for them. So if you're not feeling God's love, you need to objectively, with the eyes of faith, look at the cross and you will understand that even though you don't feel it, God loves you. And then if you're subjectively feeling God's love, then you're fine because you feel God's love and it's easy then. But God wants us to return love to Him because a real relationship is characterized by love. So God wants a loving relationship. Do you love God? Are you allowing yourself to experience God's love for you?
1: Jesus is real. As Moses prepared the people to go into the land, he reminded them to hear. So often we go through our days speaking and not listening. Pastor Daniel showed us the importance of hearing in today's message. So, are you hearing? Do you listen for the nudge of the Lord as you go through your day? Do you have scripture memorized so that the spirit can bring it to your mind in the moments when you need it most? Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I
0: realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400 S-A-B-E-D to 51400.
1: And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will show us what true relationship is. In our relationship with God, he wants us to return love to him. A real relationship is characterized by love. Pastor Daniel asked the question, do you love God? Next time, Pastor Daniel will ask the question, do you love God? Are you allowing yourself to experience God's love for you? love flows from the control center of your life, your heart. When we love God, we have a brand new way of being human. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Refresh. Until then, may God bless.